Okay, for uh, the sake of time, we're going to get right into it. We have a child dedication later on. We're going to do baptisms, and we're going to do all this stuff before the YMCA opens. So we are going to take advantage of the time that we have to dig into the Word of God this morning. And, and as we do that, I, I think that it would be appropriately appropriate for me to address um, Mother's Day in light of the the fact that God is intimately wired to and connected to our lives today because undoubtedly everyone comes into the room with different emotions for Mother's Day, especially if you're a woman, different emotions for Mother's Day. And and I want to read something to you that my pastor, Pastor Chan, wrote uh, about this day that I think is going to help everyone in the room come to better terms with the way God wants us to view this day. So he says this, I think Mother's Day can be a difficult day for so many women for so many different reasons. It is difficult for some because you are single and you long to get married and yet that's out of your control. Others are married and long to have children, but yet that seems to be out of your control as well. For others, you have children and you feel everything is out of your control. Yes. (laughs) And for some, you've lost children. And Mother's Day only heightens the awareness of the loss and the grief that you feel every other day. If this is you, I want you to know that you have a good shepherd who's with you, who knows you and will carry you through. I think another reason why many women dread Mother's Day is because there's this pressure, whether it's external or internal or both. Moms feel this pressure to be the perfect mom, to be their child's good shepherd. I hear this from ladies all the time, but the truth is you can never be your child's good shepherd because half the time you're not even a good mom, right? So you battle with guilt, condemnation, and feelings of inadequacies. Here is your hope. You don't have to be the perfect mom. Your child has a perfect savior and you're not it. Your child has a good shepherd who has laid down his life for your child. He holds your child securely. He knows your child and he is the one who has authority over your child. Maybe your child is, is running as fast as he or she can away from you, the church and even God. But here is what we know about the good shepherd in Luke 15. He leaves the 99 and he pursues after the one. In fact, in other words, if you are a believer, Jesus gots your child. I know it's bad grammar, but it's good truth. He is pursuing relentlessly after your child with an unfailing love. Mom, rest beside still waters. Let him restore your soul. Ladies, your identity is Rest is not in whether you think you're a good mom or a bad mom or whether you're a mom at all. Your value, your rest and worth are in the fact that you are his own. He knows you by name and he has laid his life down for you. So happy daughter's day. Your value and worth are in being the daughter of the king. Rest. Isn't that good? Let's pray. Lord, that's not a word for just moms in the room, but that's a word for us all. 
that God, we are the one that you've come after, that you have relentlessly pursued. And this morning, God, I can't help but think that your word is going to bring back the wanderer. God, your word is going to bring back the wondering heart that even I have, that I may not realize, but your Holy Spirit is going to show me today where I'm being brought back to you. So, Father, I pray that as the word is spoken, your spirit allows it to restore our souls, that you would lead us beside still waters, that you would have your way, and that you would work as only you can. In Jesus' name, amen. So there's one unavoidable reality for us as we turn to Ecclesiastes 3. And that is time is precious. Time is precious. There was a band called The Birds. Anybody remember The Birds? To every season, turn, turn, turn. Maybe you haven't heard of The Birds, but you watched Forrest Gump. And so you saw that. And... I think that there's also kind of an accurate reflection of time for my generation. And who knows them? Hootie and the Blowfish. Who knows Hootie and the Blowfish? Yes. Yes. They're on their reunion tour, by the way. Anybody want to go to the concert in Tampa next month? And so, yes, come on now. Um, so Hootie and the Blowfish have a song called Time. Time, why do you punish me? Like a wave bashing into the shore, you wash away my dreams. Time, why you walk away like a friend with somewhere to go. You left me crying. Can you teach me about tomorrow and all the pain and sorrow running free? Because tomorrow is just another day and I don't believe in time. You might not believe in time. But that doesn't stop the fact that time exists and it is marching forward with or without you. It is marching forward with or without you. And the author of Ecclesiastes, the preacher Solomon, King Solomon over Jerusalem, over all of Israel, King David's heir who rules and reigns over God's most powerful point in history for his children in Israel, he says, for everything... There is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. For everything, there is a time. For everything. Everything accounts for a moment and a space in time. I want to look through this passage in four parts. The first part is I want us to see the beauty and the burden of time. The beauty and the burden of time. The second part I want to see is the hand of time. The third part I want us to see is the fulfillment of time. And the last part, part four, is the redemption of time. We're going to look at all of Ecclesiastes chapter 3. And we're going to look for those four things in our sermon outline today. And the first one is the beauty and the burden of time. Some would say that this poem here is the most beautiful written poem in human history because we can relate to it, can't we? Let me read it. For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted, 
A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to break down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to seek and a time to lose. A time to keep and a time to cast away. A time to tear and a time to sow. A time to keep silence and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. You hear the rhythm in it? It's almost like tick, tock, tick, tock. And you hear the seasons of your life enveloped in this time. And we, like Darius Rucker singing the song from Hootie and the Blowfish, we want to say, time, why you punish me? Because in that time, there is a beauty and there's a burden. I asked one of our members, Ruth, she's an artist, if she would reflect this passage of Ecclesiastes so we would have a visual of it. And she put this piece together. And I would encourage you after the sermon today to take a look at these pieces because it shows the beauty of time and the burden of time. That you have a time to be born and you have a time to die. That you have a time to build up and that you have a time to tear down. A time to sow and a time to tear apart. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. And, and you see all these things kind of in this vapor, in this smoke, in this mist. It's almost as if within this time, you're trying to grab it and it slips through your fingers. When the author of Ecclesiastes says vanity, that's what he means. It means that it's short. It means that it's here today and it's gone tomorrow. And how many of you have said, where has time gone? Where has time gone? I mean, we're already in May 2019, and I was just putting my New Year's resolutions together yesterday. Maybe you were late on your New Year's resolutions, or maybe it was, you know, January, and it feels like it was yesterday. Time goes so fast, and it feels like you can't even catch up with it. Because when you enter into the time such as to be born where we'll cherish the birth of a child. I I was with my kids this morning for crying out loud. They woke up and they made breakfast for mom. Right? Carrie was a little bit worried. She's like, what's the noise going on in the kitchen and what kind of mess am I going to have to clean up? (laughs) They were very good though. They pulled the frozen pancakes out of the freezer. They put them in the microwave. They put it on a plate. They had their little notes on this little, uh, on this little cookie tray. And then they put butter on it, loaded it up with butter and syrup. And they had bananas on it. And they even, Adela was cutting it up, man. And Lily said, daddy, can you make the coffee? And I made the coffee. She put the cream and the sugar in. They brought it into mommy while she was in bed. And we cherish that moment. We just cherish that moment. It's time. But I know not all the time with my kids is going to be like that. I know it. And so I cherish the beauty of it. And I realize that the beauty and the burden of it are both a gift from God. They're both a gift from God. David Gibson is an author and pastor in the UK. He says, when we're dancing, most of us do not realize we're creating memories with people whom we will one day mourn. When we're weeping, 
we rarely think in a few weeks' time we could be laughing again. You might hear my emotions in this because it's true. It's true. And the thing I love about the Ecclesiastes in this poem is it's true. You you don't have 50% of this. You can't have one half without the other. You can't have a time to be born without a time to die. You can't have a time to plant without a time to pluck up what is planted. You can't have a time of embracing without a time of refraining from that embracing. And the beauty of time is that God has made you for such a time as this. Acts 17, 24. The God who made the world in everything that is in it. Being Lord of heaven and earth. Does not live in temples made by man. In other words, God cannot be contained. In other words, time cannot contain him. Nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything. Since he himself gives all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth. Reference to Adam in the Garden of Eden. Having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. That they should seek God. And perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. Sometimes when we go through the tick-tock of time, we feel this distance, this separation from God. Because we feel time marching forward and we feel like it's punishing us. It's leaving us in the dust. But yet Paul says... No, no, no. God made you for this moment in human history. He made no one like you, but he made you in this moment of human history to be in this space, to live in your neighborhood, to work at your job, to be with your family, to be in your circumstances, to be in your situation. Why? So that you would seek him and so that you would find him. And guess what? He's not far off. He is right there. That God doesn't just wind up a clock and leave us to our own devices and let the world just go and then judge it at the end of time to see what we've done with it. No, no, no. God is close to us in the midst of the march of time because he entered in time through God the Son, Jesus Christ, who had a time to be born and a time to die. In a time for every season under heaven. So the God who gives us time. Is the God who entered into time. He says this in uh, King David in Psalm 139. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me when as yet there was none of them. 
Before the foundations of the world, God formed you. He made you. He knew you. For those of you who feel alone and like nobody cares or knows, the Bible says it so differently that God knows you and he is intimately connected to your life. And God didn't just form you in the womb. He didn't just knit you together and leave you. But this God remains connected to you step by step, day by day, moment by moment, second by second. He is in the seasons of your lives. And I also want you to know as it relates to the seasons of time is that you're not going to be where you are today, tomorrow. You're not always going to be in this space, in this place of life. Because the seasons, they come and go. Some of you might be in a good season. And you say, come on, don't start with that karma on me. Uh-uh, I don't want to hear it. By the way, there's no such thing as karma uh, for number one. Number two is that you know it. You've been through it. And that's why you've got your fingers crossed right now that this just remains this way forever. Some of you cannot wait for tomorrow to come fast enough. That you could just get over this season, get through this season. But how are we as Christ followers, as Christians, as those who are living in the time under the hand of God supposed to relate to the hand of time? And it's that. That God is the hand of time. That the hand of time is the hand of God. When my daughter was born, actually, she was born with her brother, Camden, but she was the first one that I held, Adeline. Camden was born first, Adeline was next. Um, They were seven weeks premature. Camden was four pounds, two ounces. I'm looking at Carrie. Four pounds, five ounces. Thanks for that correction. I was three ounces off. Not bad. Um, And Adeline was three pounds, eight ounces. And so the, the nurse, um, the evening of their birth, uh, they were in these little boxes, you know, and it was like I, had, I could only kind of put my fingers in there and pet them a little bit. And then the, the NICU nurse came to me and she says, would you like to hold her? I was, I was so giddy. I was like, boy, would I ever. And she took this little three pound ounce, three pound, eight ounce girl, and she put her in my hands. And my hands were big enough to hold my daughter. Now, I could try that today, and she's just going to fight me. She's not even going to let me try. <laughs> but then it was, so, it was so beautiful, this picture. I want you to know that God's hands are big enough to hold you. Not only are God's hands big enough to hold you, but his hands are big enough to hold Every single part of you, every single part of us in this room, he is, his hands are big enough to hold the expanse of time in human history from start to finish and infinity, infinity and beyond. His hands are big enough for the whole world and the whole universe. The hand of God is the hand of time. And when we see and receive and walk through time, we see it as a good gift from the hand of God. And Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 11 says this. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Everything. Everything. He's made everything beautiful in his time. Time for death. Time for war. Time to pluck up. 
time to tear down. He's made it all beautiful in its time. There's not one detail that escapes God, that God does not use for the advancement of his glory and make it beautiful. And he says this also, he has put eternity into man's heart. He's put eternity into our hearts. He has us each, all of humans, everybody alive today has this in their heart. Is there something more? Is there something more? Is there something more? He has that in our hearts so that we may groan, so that we may long for, so that we, may, so that we might reach for God in space and time and so that we might find him. Yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from beginning to end. No one knows the ultimate will of God from beginning to end. No one knows the eternal way this thing is going to wind out. No one knows the way the world is being shaped right now and how is going to do it. No one knows what's going to happen tomorrow or the next day or the day after that. We can't pull up a crystal ball and determine the future, but we can trust that the God who moves time for his glory is the God who works time for our good. Do you hear that? The God who moves time for his own glory is the God who works time for our good. Last week, my son Camden came home from kids ministry here and uh, Josh was his teacher and, and he was looking at the ceiling in bed. You know, you could just see his mind start to churn. And when he was looking at the ceiling, I said, Camden, what are, you, what are you thinking about? And he said, he said, Daddy, does God love his children or his glory more? <laughs> and I said, how did you come up with that question? That's a great question. And he said, well, I asked it to Josh and he told me to ask you. <laughs> That's a great Sunday school teacher, isn't it? I said, I got Josh on the phone. I said, come over now, buddy. Let's deal with this together. No. <laughs> the answer is yes. Yes. He loves his glory because if you had a God who doesn't love his glory, then guess what? It means that he's not going to love you. But if he loves you, then he's going to be vainglorious. He's going to be idolatrous because how could God, who is over everything, put you as primary importance? But the God who controls the hand of time holds this mystery together to where, yes, he loves his glory more than he could ever love you or me because he is God and he will not give his glory to another. But that does not come into contradiction with the way he loves us because the fact that he loves his glory means that he loves us more than he possibly could if he put us first. Because God is not an idolater. He is a lover of his children. And because he is driven by his glory to be manifest, to be displayed and shown to us, he loves us. He loves us. And so we have a good and glorious God who in the hand of time holds in tension, in harmony, the beauty and the burden of time through his glory and his love for us. God is sovereign. 
He is sovereign. He's in control of all things over all time throughout all history. David Gibson, who I quoted earlier, he he says, we're each writing the story of our lives, but we're not the main author. Let me say it again. We're each writing the story of our lives, but we are not the main author. There's a sovereign author. There's another author that is writing the story of our lives. You think you're in control. That's what sovereign means. Control. God who's in complete control. You you think you're in control of your lives and then you, you realize that you're not. You're not. You don't get to say what happens tomorrow. Yeah, you've got your alarm set for 6 a.m. And you're going to have your on-the-way-to-work coffee and scone from Starbucks. And then you're going to clock in about 8.15 when you know you should be clocking in at 8 o'clock. And then you're going to later have your 15-minute break. And then you're going to have your lunch. And then you're going to have your 3 o'clock break. And then you're going to wrap up at 5 o'clock. Actually, you're going to clock out at 4.45. And then you're going to come home. And then you're going to have dinner. And the next day, you're going to do it again. You're going to do it again. You're doing it, do it again. There's this repetition and this repetition makes us think we're in control until something happens that awakens us and says, "Uh uh-uh, we are not in control. That there's a sovereign hand that's moving this world and according to his will and he's the author and, and, and that means I get to be a part of the story. That means there's this incredible freedom for me to obey, to enjoy, to rejoice to take the beauty and the burden of time and to celebrate it all as a good gift from the hand of God. Philip Graham Ryken says, consider birth and death, the two most momentous experiences in life and two appointments every person must keep. Both the cradle and the deathbed follow God's timetable. Nobody got to determine when they were born and nobody here gets to determine when they die. They both follow God's timetable. You can buck up against it. You could try to be sovereign over it. You could eat as much spinach or spend as much time on the treadmill as you like, but you will not be able to manipulate the will of God. And so you are called to say, God, I am going to embrace what you've given me. And from a good gift, I'm going to eat this spinach because it's good for me, right? (laughs) I can eat this. Don't put any bacon on it. You might be tempted. It tastes really good with bacon and ranch dressing and cheese on it, but don't do it. And I'm going to get on the treadmill or I'm going to take care of my body. Why? Because it's a good gift that he's called me to steward because he's the one in control. Ecclesiastes 12, or 3.12, I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful And to do good as long as they live. Also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all of his toil. This is God's gift to man. So receive it. Receive the life that God has given you with glad and generous hearts. Rejoice in it. Celebrate the things that are worth celebrating. Grieve the things that are worth grieving. And know that they come in order to drive you to the one who made time. To the one who forms you. The one who continues to form you. That the pleasure and the pain are the hammer and the crucible that turn you into, that mold you and conform you into the image of Christ so that you may be brought into a likeness of the Son of God in order to bring glory to God with your life. That that's the, the hope 
that we have. God loves you so much that through the pleasure and the pain, he's conforming you into Christ's image. Isn't that good? So receive it as a good gift. Receive it, cherish it. Romans eleven thirty four and 35 says, For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Who's ever given to him that he should be repaid? There's no one that has had God on their counseling chair. <laughs> He's not sitting on your couch saying, I, I just don't really know what to do today. Gosh, man, it's so hard to be God. I, I can't believe it. I mean, for the love of me, I, I, I don't understand how to get through to tomorrow. God's not sitting on somebody's easy chair asking them for advice or counsel. No one knows the heart of God, except we know that it's good, it's pure, and he's masterful. He is in complete control, and he doesn't second-guess himself because he always does what's right all the time. No one's ever given to God that God should repay him, meaning that God owes nobody nothing. That's bad grammar, but it's good truth. God owes no one because everything that you have been given has been a good gift that came from above. And so when you put your tithe in the offering basket today or you even give it online because you want the credit card points, you've not given that to God as something original unto you. God gave you that and you're simply declaring that that gift that you give back to God is a gift that God's already given to you. And you're saying, God, I trust you with what you've given to me. Now make me a good steward for your glory and my good. And he says, for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. I love that song, he is worthy. Because when we see the song when we sing the song, I see, I see this heavenly picture open up. And I see all of redeemed humanity bowing before the king. And I see forever bowing down for the one who's eternal. The one who's said eternity in our hearts has made us for himself. And that's why... The fulfillment of time, which is the next part of our outline, verses 14 and 15. The fulfillment of time comes through the work of Christ. The fulfillment of time comes through the work of Christ. Christ stepped into time. Not to stop it. Not to bring an end to it. But to bring it to fulfillment. If you're looking to find fulfillment outside of Christ, you're just going to be left empty. If you're looking for a fulfillment of your time, you're going to live your days long and you're going to enjoy life to the best of your ability. But it's still going to lack the sweetness and flavor that God intended it for you to experience. Why? Because we live in a sin-stained, broken world. And there is the beauty and burden of time that we will never be able to see through the reconciling work of Jesus Christ. That Jesus stepped into time. He says in uh, Solomon in, in chapter 3, 14, I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it. Nothing taken away from it. God has done it so that people fear before him. That which is already has been. And that which is to be already has been. And God seeks what has been driven away. 
This passage here points us to the fulfillment of time in the person of Christ because he shows us that he is the only one that can make time whole. You, you can't undo what's already been done. You can't undo what's already been done. Some of you need to be freed from that today, from the baggage of your past. And no, you cannot undo it. But Christ can bring it to fulfillment for his glory and your good. That Christ is the one who says, give it to me. Give it to me. That he brings to fulfillment the work that God has started in time. Jesus was born and Jesus died. Jesus tore down and Jesus built up. Built up. Jesus embraced the prostitute and the tax collector while he refrained from embracing the legalistic and self-serving Pharisees. Jesus wept at the death of Lazarus and he danced when he raised him up again. Do you see that Jesus himself was not immune to the seasons of life? But he stepped into them. He received them as God's good gift. And he did what we couldn't. He brought fulfillment to them. And why did he do that? So that we may know the king of time, the king of the universe. And that through the cross, we would know that all time comes to fulfillment. No matter how bad we jack it up or mess up in this life, or it seems like a mess right now, the cross says through his blood stained garments that his work is fulfilled through his death for us. He fulfills time. He fulfilled the scriptures. He fulfills the longing of our hearts. He shows us that we can have a fulfilling relationship with God where before we would not be able to. And he brings this all to us so we would know it comes from him. And I think the question comes to us is, well, how? How do I step into this time the way God calls me to? I want to tell us what we're not supposed to do. And I want to do that through an illustration. Uh, the, a couple weeks ago, maybe it was about 10 days ago, there was an airline that, uh, that uh, airplane that had to have an emergency landing, and it was in Russia. And the cabin filled with fire and smoke. And it landed on the runway. And there were, uh, if you look at the plane, there was this, this um, there's these exits that were available for the people to get out of. And there was only a certain portion, I think 25 or 30% of the plane was able to get out of the plane alive. And so uh, there's the top news stories of, um, uh, so if you read the top news stories, uh, were lives lost at the cost of carry-ons in Aeroflot, a plane crash that killed 41. Uh, next from Forbes, uh, after fiery Aeroflot crash, is it time to remove Airlines overhead bins. Um, the next one. Passengers tried to save their bags before rushing, uh, Russian plane burst into flames. So there is this, there's been this debate post this crash is, do we need to take the baggage out of the inside of the planes? Because what happened was, is the seconds that were available for people to exit the plane and survive were taken up by someone getting the carry-ons out. Making sure you get your laptop 
making sure you have the things that you brought with you. And so when the plane went down and the people had to exit and the, the stewardess or the, the airline attendants are given 90 seconds to evacuate a plane, every second is so precious. Every second matters. And in this case, the removal of those carry-on bags, when you see the, fl- the plane in bursting flames behind people, they're carrying their carry-on bags. And lives were lost because of it. Because time is precious. Now, I'm not here casting stones at them because the first thing on my mind whenever I get out of a plane is I'm going to get my stuff as fast as I can and I'm going to get out of here. And so, you know, we're just, we're just trained like robots to do this. And so I'm not here to cast stones, but I'm here to bring us into a bigger picture of an illustration of this is the way we are in life rather than Rather than thinking about what matters most, the lives that God has given us and the lives that God has given others, we're worried about our stuff. We're worried about our stuff. And the thing that God is not concerned about redeeming is your stuff, but he's concerned about redeeming you and others. And that means we've got to let the baggage go. We've got to let the stuff burn in order for God to bring redemption And the vanity of our lives is that we would hold on to the smoke, that we would hold on to the nothingness of the stuff that God gives us, and we would forget that the substance of the life that God has given us in Christ is that which is eternal, is that which matters most. And so we're called to step into that reality. And the question is, is how are you going to redeem the time? How are you going to redeem the time? Because that's what we see in verses 16 through 22 is that Christ brought a fulfillment to the time by his coming. But Christ also brings redemption to the time, the time that has been lost. The the beauty of the gospel, it says that the bad news becomes good news in Jesus, that the mess becomes beautiful in Christ, and that he is making all things beautiful in his time because he's redeeming it. And as the Old Testament language puts it, that he he is restoring the brokenness that the locusts have taken the crops that the locusts would come in and swarm and would be gone. He says, not only does he plant and it grow again, but he gives you back what was stolen. He gives you back what was lost. For my dad who died at 60, and I feel like I've lost time from him, the King Jesus of redemption says, I'm giving it back. I'm giving it back. Because eternal life is in Christ. Your life is so short, but yet God has made it so much more. Galatians 4, but in the fullness of time, when the fullness of time had come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. Because we're under the law, we're bound by the law. Because we're born into sin, we're under sin. But Jesus Christ came under the same conditions and circumstances as we do, except he was perfect. And because he was perfect, he was under the law, fulfilled the law, set us free from law's demands over our lives and our hearts. He brought redemption. Verse 22 of Ecclesiastes 3. So I saw that there's nothing better than a man should rejoice in his work, for this is his lot. Who can bring him to see what will be after him? God has made everything beautiful in his time. 
The rest of Ecclesiastes chapter 3 talks about the wickedness that's in the place of righteousness and how if there cannot be righteousness in the justice system and in the courts, then where can there be righteousness? Why does wicked reign when there should be righteousness? Why do man and beast suffer the same fate? Why do we breathe and life go out of our body and all that that's left is a corpse? Why do we suffer the same fate? And then finally, it says that they're in life outside of Christ. No one knows the answer. No one knows the answer. All of humanity has sought this answer and Christ has given it to us to say that he makes all things beautiful in his time. And he gives life and breath and every good gift to those whom he has made his children. Why? Because he became one of us and brought his brothers and sisters to his father and says, on account of me, receive them, bring them in. And he redeemed us for his glory. And so how do we live now for the redemption of time? I want to give us four things. This is our application. This is your take home. This is your homework. All right, number one, fear God. Ecclesiastes chapter 12 says, this is the sole duty of man, fear God and obey his commands. Because God holds time in his hands, revere, respect, and fear God and no other. What can man do to you? Nothing. And so therefore, fear God. Man might be able to destroy the body, but they cannot the soul. Fear the one who could destroy both body and soul. Fear him. He is the one that holds your life in his hands. Number two, wait on his timing. You're not in control. And so our call is like the psalm says, strength will rise when we wait upon the Lord. Strength will rise as we wait upon the Lord. Sorry, is that not appropriate? Sorry. (laughs) Wait on his timing. He's calling us to wait on him. Because he holds time in his hands and our waiting means that we're on our knees praying, seeking his direction, seeking his guidance. Number three, understand the seasons of life. Don't wear flip-flops in the snow, <laughs> right? You're, you're going to have to get your toes amputated if you do. Know the seasons of life. Be prepared for them. Be prepared for seasons of beauty and seasons of burden, seasons of life, seasons of death, seasons of laughter, seasons of sorrow. Be prepared for those seasons and know that those seasons come into beautiful harmony in the redemption and the reconciliation of you through God's son, Jesus Christ. And finally, live in light of your death. Live in light of your death. You are not going to live on this planet earth forever. This is planet death. No one does. No one does. Live in light of tomorrow. Make good use of the time that God has given you. Don't have regrets about what yesterday was, but live in the present, dependent upon God, knowing that you might not be here tomorrow. So what are you going to do for him today? What are you going to do for King Jesus Today And Jesus tells us it well, lay up your treasures in heaven, lay up your treasures in heaven, that we would be building bank accounts in heaven of those whom we love that God has given eternal life through, through the proclamation of his son, Jesus Christ. When I was working in my scripture journal, um, there was a, uh, uh, there, there's a little line here I made on my scripture journal. Um, 
if you read if you read the passage it says a time to be born and you put a dot there and then at the end of it, it says a time to die and you just put a dot there maybe if you got one of the scripture journals you can do it and you draw a line between them that's your life that's your life you might feel insignificant because of it but I want you to know that God says nah that life matters so much to me because that life is the life that God has taken from here to here and he's made it forever for all eternity because here's the thing about life and death and the seasons of life that we can now live in is that God has given us eternal life that the good gift of life when devoted towards King Jesus becomes all about him and he is not limited to time and space and he's made eternity for you and for me so rejoice rejoice let's pray Father thank you we worship you we honor you we ask God that you would help us redeem the time redeem the time by living for you by fearing you by God using time wisely waiting upon you understanding the seasons and living God not as if we are going to be here forever because we know you've prepared a place for us forever in the precious name of your son Jesus Christ we rejoice and the church says together